The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Saved out of my sin. For most of us, change is not easy. And usually we change only when we have to. And that process usually comes about when we're too uncomfortable to stay where we're at. We're too miserable to stay where we're at. And so we finally have to make a change. I wish we could change simply because it would be fun to change. Most of us don't change because it's fun. We change to avoid pain. We have right now what is called a housing bubble, and it's bursting. And so homes in my neighborhood have dropped well over $200,000. And that's just a beginning. At $200,000 less, there's still a tremendous housing bubble. One friend bought their home, put $80,000 down that they'd made on a previous home. And now with over $200,000 down, they walked away from their house. Because it's cheaper for them to walk away than to try to keep it. They couldn't afford the $6,000 a month they were paying. So the housing bubble is bursting. People are losing money, and I would guess we'll end up 25 cents on the dollar. Then there are other bubbles. We have an oil bubble. The price of gasoline was being pushed higher and higher. And now it's crashing. Some are seeing we're going to see it go to $50 a barrel. Perhaps less. That's a crashing bubble. What goes up must come down. That's the rule. When I was a child, we moved into a little town called Bosler, Wyoming. Bosler was a little railroad town. We had no electricity in Bosler. As we moved into the town, we excitedly looked at the, at the stoves. There was one round pot-bellied stove in the living room. There was another stove in the kitchen, both of which we burned with coal. There was no running water, so there was no hot water, except what Dad would heat on the kitchen stove. And so you get up in the morning, You want to run to the bathroom. But there was only an outhouse. Some ways from the house. Now, we did have a beautiful two-holer. And we had a homemade rug on the floor. And we had some pictures up inside. And a Sears catalog for toilet paper. 
And of course, you'd read it before you'd use it. Now, why do I say such foolish things to you? That was reality. That was where I lived. The snow across the Wyoming prairie would be so heavy that one side of the house, the snow would stack up to the eaves. So the windows in the back of the house, we couldn't see out of because they were blocked with snow. Of course, when spring came, it was wonderful to climb up to the top of the roof and slide down with the sleds. Dad always insisted, though, that we not go on the roof, that we could only go on the mountain of snow beside our house. Well, sometimes we would get what were called blizzards. Now, blizzards were raw. And on more than one occasion, I can remember when dad went out and tied a rope to the outhouse door. In fact, he took the door off and tied it securely. And then he ran that rope all the way to the living room window. And when the snow got too deep, he would carefully open the living room window and with a shovel begin to dig a burrow under the snow because it was higher than a man's head. And dad would make a burrow through the snow all the way out to the outhouse and then turn the corner and continue that burrow all the way out to the coal shed. Well... What do you do for light? You have lamps that you hang on the wall with reflectors behind the lamps. They burned oil. On the, on the floor, we had homemade rugs. On the windows, we had plastic curtains. You ever seen plastic curtains yes. on the? The floor was made of linoleum. Now, some of you younger people have never heard of linoleum. When the linoleum began to wear out and crack, as it inevitably did, you just pull the linoleum up off the floor, go down to the store, tell them the size. They'd cut you a new section of linoleum, and you'd roll it out on the floor, and you had a new floor. Now, I thought that was really neat, because you know what my dad used to tell me about? He used to tell me the story of when they left Iowa, and they loaded everything in a wagon. And the biggest piece of furniture they carried was the kitchen stove. Now, they didn't carry a refrigerator. There were no refrigerators. They carried ice chests. And Dad told me they they found the place where they were moving from Iowa as they went out to Homestead property in New Mexico, and the first thing they did was set the stove up. Then they built a house around the stove. And you know what the floor was? Packed dirt. Dirt stamped down and sprinkled with water, and Grandma would sweep the dirt floor every day to keep it clean. (laughs) That was normal living. As I grew up living in Bosler, I remember the first time I had an ice cream. 
I was so astonished that there was such a thing as ice cream. It was so pretty. It was a soft ice cream, and it was curlicue, and it came up, and there was a curl on top. I said, Dad, I don't want to eat that. I, I, it's so cute. I just want to watch it. And so I started to watch it. And it started to dribble down all over my hands. And my dad said, Raymond, you better eat that quick or I'm going to eat it. And I dove in for the first time to ice cream. (laughs) Never had it, never knew what it was before. In our family, we never listened to the radio. Do you have any idea why? We didn't have a radio. The one who had the radio was Grandpa, who lived just a short distance from us in Bosler. And that was a dry cell battery. And those were connected by wires to his radio. And we'd go and listen to stories, dramas on the radio. And then Grandpa would say, we don't want to wear out the batteries, Raymond. Let's turn it off. Of course, it goes without saying, we had no tape recorders. We had no CD players. And we certainly had never even imagined a computer. Oh, I remember the first time I saw television. Some things are etched in your mind forever. We were riding in the car, and I saw something moving in a store window, and I said, Daddy, Daddy, stop. There's something moving in the, there's a picture, it's moving. Daddy said, yes, Raymond, that's called a television. A television? I'd never heard the word before. I said, back up. We have to see it. So we backed up and we sat in the car and looked at the television in the window. Black and white, a screen about that big around. (laughs) And a stand about that high and about so wide. A flickering black and white image. Well, you say, why are you sharing this, Pastor? Because everything changes. And what you're accepting today as your reality, you'll look back on kids when you're my age, and you'll say, you know, I remember when we didn't have. And I remember when life wasn't like. And how strange it is. Let me read a scripture for you. Romans, the fifth chapter, begin with verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world to one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. Did you catch that? Therefore, just as sin entered, there was a time when this world had no sin. 
And what was normal to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden was not what is normal to us today. In Adam and Eve's life, there was no bitterness, there was no anger, there was no rebellion, there was no harshness, there was no there was no feeling of being left out. There was no feeling of being unworthy. There was only a joyous gladness rising up in their hearts as they rushed to meet the Lord God of heaven as he came and courted them. You know, that's what God was doing in the Garden of Eden. He was courting Adam and Eve. He was coming in the cool of the day to talk with them and to fellowship with them and to build a love relationship with them. The God of the universe coming and doing this. That sounds an awful lot like my taking hours every night to talk on the telephone to my sweetheart when I was just getting acquainted with her and I couldn't talk to her enough. And all day long, I'd be looking at my watch. And especially on the night when it was her turn to call me, I'd be saying, is she going to call or isn't she? (laughs) If she doesn't call me, I'm not calling her. Either she has to want to be with me as much as I want to be with her, or I don't want to spend any time with her. And so the time would come for her to call. I was pacing, waiting for the phone to ring. The phone would ring. I'd answer, hello, Ray. <laughs> and it'd be a friend. Oh, is that you, Pastor? Well, yes, I can't talk right now. I'm expecting another call. I'll give you a buzz later. And I'd hang up. Why? I wanted that line clear. It was time to go courting. That's what God was doing with Adam and Eve before the fall. He was coming courting. And he wanted to know that Adam and Eve wanted to be with him as much as he wanted to be with them. And then that day came when God came courting. And Adam and Eve weren't around. They were hiding in the bushes. They were ashamed. And God's heart broke. Because now his love that he'd gone courting had been stolen by another. I don't know if you all ever remember that happening, but I was in high school and this sweet little girl came to town. She came to our school and she was brand new and it was almost Christmas time. I fell head over heels with this gal. I thought she was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen in my life. I spent every moment I could talking with her, and it was limited in the school because if you got caught talking to a girl, you were social privileged, which meant you were barred from any social activities, let alone talking to a girl. (sighs) Christmas came, and she was an incredible soloist, and she was asked to sing by this huge Christmas tree on stage. And then she was going to help pass gifts out from under that tree. 
her being a new student, I knew she would have no gift under that tree. But I knew I could not give her a gift with my name on it. I would die of embarrassment. So I scrounged every penny I could. I I went to the store and I bought cans and cans of tuna. I brought it back and I made it into sandwiches and I bought loaves and loaves of bread. I mean, I slaved to get that tuna sold every night. I was a floor monitor. So I got to walk the halls during study hall when everybody had to be in the room. I'd pop in that room and I'd say, you want a tuna sandwich tonight? It's going to be this amount. What are you doing? You're raising your prices, Ray. (laughs) I have to make some money. If you want it, that's what it's going to cost you tonight. I went to town on boys' day. You had a boys' day to go to town, and you had a girls' day to go to town. I went to town on boys' day, and I went to the department store, and I brought my money with me, and I put my money down on the counter. I'd never done this before. I put my money on the counter, and I said to the clerk, I have this much money, and I have a very special girl I have to buy some perfume for. Could you choose a bottle that will use all this money? I was a farm boy. What did I know about women and perfume? My mom never wore perfume. But I figured this girl should. So I bought the very best bottle of Chanel number five I could buy. I had him wrap it. And I carefully wrote her name on it. And under the tree, her name was called. And she had to open it on stage in front of everybody. And they said, but there's no name on it. You must have some secret admirer. I didn't tell her. I went home for holiday, for Christmas holiday. And all I could think about was this girl. I got back and discovered that another guy had told her that he had bought it. And now she was his girl. Stolen. Stolen. Adam and Eve were stolen from God. That's what sin is. Sin stole us from God's heart. And God said, I'm going to go buy him back. And it's going to cost me my son. I'm going to give my only son to buy back my love. So sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. Verse 15, but the gift is not like the trespass. When Adam and Eve were torn from God's heart, they lost God's presence. What was normal was gone. They lost God's presence. The curtain of protective light that had been around them winked out. And now they stood naked 
embarrassed that their nakedness could be seen. And they quickly go to try to patch together some leaves to cover their nakedness. God comes. And even though he is now the spurned lover, he takes the lives of his precious animals and he makes skins and he clothes Adam and Eve in the skins of his created creatures. Everything is changing. Thorns and thistles are now beginning to grow in the soil that before had only produced beautiful flowers and fruit. Now, wicked little creatures are showing up that bite. Everything is shifting and changing. Mankind is taken over by demons who now dwell among them. The demons are even visible. The demons come and now they have sexual intercourse with women, humans, raping God's love. Birthing what is called Nephilim, half man, half spirit. Giant, grotesque beings. Determined, Satan is, to utterly destroy the DNA of man. To make it utterly impossible for God to ever redeem and have a pure people. The whole world is given over to violence. Murder, rape, pillaging, grabbing what you want, going after what you want, stealing. Lying. Everything is tense. Everything is hard. People accumulate many things. They accumulate great wealth and great luxury. Finally, God's heart is so broken, he said, I repent that I made man. And he sends the great flood that destroys all but one family. But no sooner is that family established on the earth and the young people in that family, remembering the wickedness that was in the world, go back and try to recreate those same things. And their children go even further. You have Nimrod, the great hunter, who founds the great cities of Babylon and Nineveh, Ur of the Chaldees. They go back studying and trying to understand the things of demonic power and spell casting. And God said, I'm going to have to take away their language. I'm going to have to confuse their languages so they can't do whatever they want to do. And so he touches them and he changes their language so they can't speak to each other because he can't trust people to talk to people. They'll go to wickedness. Everything is changing. I want you to hear today, there is no such thing as not changing. Everything is changing constantly now in our culture because Daniel said at the end of time, knowledge would increase. And so we live now in a culture where nothing remains the same. From day to day, there is a rapid progression of change. 
and wickedness using this occasion of chaos steps in and creates even more wickedness with the quick changing process that's going on. Constantly there is a a moving more and more into darkness. Not content to just have unclean sexuality or to have unclean violence. Now, Satan has found a way to bridge those two together into one stream so that now you have violent sexuality. And this now rules in America today. You have a culture today that loves death, that loves the picture of death. Videos that teach children to kill. Televisions that harden the heart against murder so that murder now seems normal. The gift is not like the trespass. The trespass of Adam came, and with that came separation from God, and a slide down, down, down. When Jesus came and died, when he made the gift, and he bought back God's people, suddenly the presence of the Holy Spirit didn't appear around all human beings. Suddenly, humankind were not transformed and made righteous. But when Adam sinned, everyone immediately went downhill. Everyone walked in sin. And none of us will die for Adam's sin. We'll die for our own sin. Because all sinned and fell short of the glory of God. So now the gift comes but it doesn't make us righteous. But what it does is offer us grace. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is an opportunity to be convicted. Grace is an opportunity to see ourselves for what we are in God's eyes. Grace is an opportunity to see the wickedness of the deceiver and the desperate struggle with darkness and to be turned toward the light. Grace is being convicted of that which we have done and are doing that is offensive to our maker and our lover. And so grace is poured out for all mankind. That was the promise of Genesis 3.15. He said there will be enmity between you and the woman. In other words, between every person's heart and the devil. There is a little space where the human heart can respond to the grace of God. But it's only a little space. I remember Donnie Mextroff. Donnie Mextroff was a handsome young man in high school. He was Mr. Cool. He had the hot car. He had the girls. And he had a heart that was utterly rebellious against God. Donnie was determined he was not going to follow Jesus. He was going to have a wonderful life. He was going to make it. He was going to be somebody. He was Mr. Cool. One of the advantages of being in your 60s 
is you can see things in the span of those 60 years. I remember today as clear as as it happened yesterday, Donnie sitting in a chapel service and revival was full-blown. People were on their faces weeping before God. The services were going sometimes late, late into the hours of the morning at night. No one had to lead the service. The Holy Spirit was in charge of the service. People were confessing their sins and getting right. And some of us were getting up out of our chairs and we were going around to different ones in the room like Donnie and saying, Donnie, won't you give your heart to Jesus? He'd say, now get out of here. Get out of here. Leave me alone, Ray. Don't talk to me about it. He resisted the Holy Spirit. He said, no, I'm not going to do it. He went on. He got college. He went on. He got into business. He made some money. Had a family. Ended in divorce. Heartbreak. Never turned to the Lord. We got word this last week that he has leukemia and he's dying. And Donnie will soon be history. And he was rebellious from the time he sat in that revival until the time they slip him into a casket and put him in the grave. And I want to tell you, kids, there's nothing cool about that. There's nothing cool about being slipped into a grave as you're on your way to hell. And I now have lived a full life watching. I watched from high school, and I'm watching now as he's dying, and he'll soon be gone. Within weeks, he'll be dead. And I could tell you story after story. I I could tell you about Ken Asher. Ken Asher was without a doubt a man who reminded me of King David more than any man I've ever known. He was a handsome young man. He played the oboe and made it sing like a bird. He was an excellent musician. He was my roommate in high school, and he used to sing the songs of glory. He used to praise Jesus. The first thing he said to me when I got to high school, the boarding academy, he said, Raymond, are you a Christian? I said, yes, I am. He said, good, I am too. Let's be Christians together, Raymond. And we were. But when he went to college, the devil twisted something in his heart. I heard about it. He dropped out of college. I heard he was drinking. So I went to find him. He was my roommate. He was one of my best friends. I went to the door of his house. I drove all day to get there. I knocked on his door. He came to the door. He had a alcohol in his hand. Drunk. Oh, Raymond, what are you doing here? Get out of here. I'm not a Christian anymore. I don't want to talk to you. Did you come to talk to me about Jesus? Yes. Remember, we said we'd be Christians together. Get out of here, Raymond. And he slammed the door shut. Many times I've reached out to Ken through the years. Every time full of rebellion and bitterness. Would have nothing to do with God. 
Now Ken's gone to hell. When Jesus came, he came to give us grace. He came to give us a little window where we could turn to Jesus and we could be saved out of our sin. And we could be restored as his lover, as his bride-to-be. We could be restored to God's heart. But the window is very small. It's not a big window. And if that window is turned away from, if that window is resisted, all will be lost. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. God's grace is overflowing to you today. God's grace is overflowing to you today. So that no matter what sin you have committed in your heart, no matter what rebellion you have in your spirit, there is a little window that is there for you to turn back. The price was paid. You don't have to pay the price. The price was paid. The grace is there. And you can turn back. And Jesus will meet you. Again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. When we choose to walk in rebellion, the end is always the same. It is condemnation. It is death. It is hell. It is over. Because Satan has nothing to offer us. All Satan can offer us is death. He can't offer us anything but destruction. That's all he possesses. He's a liar. And so he paints it up. You know, you're going to be a lot happier if you're in charge of your life and you refuse to let Jesus take over. You'll be a lot happier if you do that. And, and, and you can have a life. And you can be liked by others. You can be popular. You can, you can be respected. You, you can be the man. You can be the woman. But Satan is lying to you. All he has to offer you in the end is death and destruction. He has no heaven to take you to. Tell me, where is Satan's heaven? He was cast out of heaven. He has no heaven. He has no place to give you rest. He has no place to give you a place of of love and comfort. He has no comfort. He only has bitterness and lying and cheating and stealing. All he has is uncleanness. Do you notice in every case in the scripture, when Jesus speaks about a spirit of the devil... He calls it an unclean spirit. Now, you know what I'm going to do when I leave this house. I'm going to go home. And you know what I have at home? I have a place that's clean. I have a place that's safe. I have a place where there's food to eat. 
I have a place where Jesus resides. Why do I have that? Because Jesus gave me that. The devil can't give that to you. The devil's going to give you a place that's filthy, dirty. He's going to give you a place that's in confusion. He's going to give you a place where there's fighting and bitterness. He's going to give you a place where there's recrimination. He's going to give you a place where there is no reality except uncleanness. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought righteousness. New International Version says justification. But again, I want to tell you that that same identical word in verse 21 of the same chapter is translated righteousness. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also great grace might reign through righteousness. So you'll forgive the translators. They're playing with their own interpretation of the scriptures. The gift followed many trespasses and brought righteousness. So the gift of Jesus brings to us cleanliness. The gift of Jesus brings to us peace and joy, brings to us uprightness, integrity. Righteousness brings to us peace, rest, safety. Righteousness brings this to us. For if by the trespasses of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. If you want to move from the realm of darkness to the realm of light, if you want to move from the realm of uncleanness and confusion and bitterness and anger and recrimination over to a place of peace and joy and long-suffering. These are two totally separate different places. And just as you can live in a place without running water and without electricity and without a bathroom and without all the modern conveniences and without ice cream and without Yeah, without the stuff, without the lifestyle. Just like you can live there or you can move over here and you can live in a place where you have basically everything provided. Two very different places, aren't they? And how do you transition between that place in Bosler, Wyoming, and this place in Virginia? That's not an easy transition. Why? We don't like change. And we get in our head that what is now currently our situation will always be our situation. And we begin to believe that our past tells us our future. I want to tell you today that my past does not predict my future. 
My past does not tell me what my future is. Jesus Christ tells me what my future is. So I can be over here a poor farm boy with plastic drapes and linoleum on the floor and an outhouse with no electricity. And I can be over here an educated man with every convenience of life. That past did not predict my future. We can be an utter sinner, caught in darkness, walking in despair, thinking that nothing can ever change. That past does not predict my future. Why? Because there is a small window of grace that is given by God, and that window of grace is a place of transformation and change. And if I will let God step into that small window called grace, I can be transformed into a new creature by the blood. That's what the difference is between the old and the new. Now, what you see currently is your situation. I hope you understand is another bubble. It's called a consumption bubble. Americans are living in a consumption bubble. Now, whether this fits you or not, you are still in the bubble. And when it pops, you're going to know it. And it's going to pop because almost all of America's luxury has been bought on credit. Debt has given us the cars, the houses. I mean, a young person today, they graduate from college, and the first thing they want to buy is an expensive car. Or they want mom or dad to give them an expensive car. You know what happened when I graduated? I had the privilege of buying an old beat-up VW. (laughs) My dad would not have driven an old beat-up VW. He was driving his nice Ford. And I'll have to be honest with you. I said, why can't I drive a nice car like my dad? And my dad was very honest with me. He said, because you haven't spent the time working to save the money to buy it. Well, then the most awesome thing happened. Mr. Banker came to me and he said, hey, son, you don't have to wait. In fact, you can buy a Mercedes. I said, thank you very much. I looked at my checkbook, and I was uh, on full scholarship, and I was working some extra hours in graduate school, and I saw that there was $400 discretionary money. I said, with that $400 discretionary money, I can buy my new Mercedes, and my payment on my first Mercedes was $400 a month. I bought my new Mercedes, and I said, my dad can have his Ford. I'll have my Mercedes. Thank you very much. I drove into my church the first time, my first church, and one of the elders saw me drive in, and he said, do you have a rich daddy? I said, what are you talking about? He said, you're driving a Mercedes, Pastor. I said, you're right. Mr. Banker helped me do that. 
He just shook his head. So we're in a consumption bubble. And almost everything in America is based on the consumption bubble. I mean, you understand, when I was a kid, my dad brought home $50 a week and then gave $25 a week to Jesus for the work of the gospel. And so we had as a family $25 a week to live on. Now I'll tell you what, on $25 a week, you didn't buy a lot of shoes and a lot of clothes and a lot of other things that I thought we ought to have. So mom went to work. She was a bacteriologist. So she could pay for Christian education for us. So she paid for the education and gave half of everything she earned to Jesus. Went off to high school. My first job was scrubbing pots and pans in the kitchen. And they offered me all of 25 cents an hour. And I was supposed to make $50 a month. You figure out how many hours I had to work at 25 cents an hour to make $50. My whole bill was $100 a month. Mom and dad said, you pay half and we'll pay half. We live in a totally artificial culture. We no longer produce very much of anything. I look around at those of you in this room, and I'm saying, which of you produces something? Most of you in this room don't produce anything. You're in the service. You service things. You don't produce things. What I'm trying to say is, life as we know it is going to dramatically change. We're not going to like all the changes. When the Social Security checks don't show up, a lot of people in America are going to be very upset. When the government retirement checks don't show up anymore, a lot of people are going to be upset. When industry no longer pays retirement checks or pensions, some people in America are going to be very, very upset. We have bought the lie that we don't need to change. But the truth is, change has always been present. Change is a part of life. And we have the opportunity to step into that small window of grace and allow God to utterly change our lives and to pour out his love for us and to cause us to live in a reality that is totally different than anything this world has ever experienced or known. Now we can step in because God has to increase our pain enough that we say, I'm going to die if I don't step in. Or we can step in simply because our heart is lonely for Jesus. And we want to walk with the almighty God of heaven like Adam and Eve did before they fell. Or like Enoch did. Can you imagine God in his sorrow having a conversation And the angel says, 
Lord, we've watched you grieving over Adam and over Eve. Why don't you just go ahead and bring Enoch home? You know you love him. And you know he loves you. How are you going to make it through all of the time redemption is going to take? Why don't you just bring one home? And I think they were probably out walking together one day and probably got to talking about it. And I think God must have said, you know, Enoch, we're closer to my house than yours. Why don't you just come on home with me? You can walk with God like that. The trespass is not like the gift. The gift is God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness. Consequently, verse 18, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was righteousness that brings life for all men. God wants to save you out of your sin. He doesn't want you to dwell in it any longer. He wants you to be pulled up out of it to a new place, to a place of love and joy and peace. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that through the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. You catch that. Sin kept getting bigger and bigger. In other words, we kept sliding more and more into the depths of degradation and wickedness as a race. And the more we slid down into degradation, the more God extended his hand to us. The more he reached out to us. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness This is not a make-believe salvation. This is real righteousness today, here and now. This is transforming righteousness where every evil spirit has to depart from us, every familiar spirit. You understand what a familiar spirit is. A familiar spirit is where we have walked in wickedness. And the demonic spirits come and they say, we like you walking this way. We'll walk with you in it. And so every opportunity, when they see us open to this sin, they're right there and they come in and they say, hey, come on, step into this. It's nice. It feels good. Why not? It doesn't really matter. And so these tempting, familiar spirits come and tell us, go ahead, dive into despair. Dive into whatever you're feeling. It's all right. Go ahead, dive in. These familiar spirits are utterly cut off by the grace of Jesus Christ. As we come into his love and his mercy, those wicked spirits are cut off. And some of you need to go into the prayer closet 
and say, Lord Jesus, in your mighty name, I ask by your blood that every familiar spirit be cut off from my heart. Don't allow these wicked spirits to come and entice me. Lord, uncover them. Let me see them for what they are. So also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now today, there is a window open for you. It's called grace. And that grace is what will teach you to say no to ungodliness. Jesus is coming, walking in the cool of the day. Will you be there to meet him tonight? Or will you turn him aside and say, I'm not interested? Whoa.